we know it's important. We know it's the right thing to do. So how do we go about doing it? I guess our approach is about strategy. So how do we get buy-in? How do we make sure that we're bringing everyone along on that journey? It's never going to work if it just happens over in the corner in isolation. We're going to take you through the process that we use to do that. The first stage here is really a process for clarity and alignment. And that often looks like a kickoff meeting with the relevant stakeholders. We know diversity is important, but we're really struggling to increase diversity in our leadership team. This is a common challenge we hear from our clients. Most organisations now understand the importance of diversity and understand how it can be a really big driver of business success. And they focus a lot on increasing diversity across the organisation. But time and time again, we hear that what they really struggle with is how do you increase that composition of your leadership team at senior levels? So that's the challenge we're going to be discussing in today's episode. We're Leaders for Good, DEI and Culture Change Experts, and I'm Kerry Boys. I'm Phil Cross, and we're going to kick off by thinking about why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to increase diversity at senior levels of leadership? One of the most obvious challenges is that there are typically smaller, less diverse candidate pools. And this is often because underrepresented or historically marginalized groups haven't received the same kind of leadership opportunities in the past. Of course, there are other barriers to building more representative leadership groups. For example, um, we can have a, organizations can have a stereotypical view of what a leader is only recruiting those or promoting those that fit the mold of leadership presence as it's currently understood by the organization. There could be a overt focus on culture fit, which can result in homogenous teams instead of thinking about culture add. What can we bring to the table that supports diversity of uh, representation and diversity of thought as well? There can be strong affinity bias at play when uh, leaders are more predisposed to bring on people who look like, sound like, and act more like them because they that's worked in the past and you know they want to they want to keep that going uh, there could be a strong reliance on referrals at senior levels, and we see this quite commonly. Um, and these referrals typically come from groups who, uh, again, fall into that affinity bias mold. And lastly, incentives not being aligned. A lot of uh, leadership teams, especially at senior senior levels, are incentivized to stay put um, and there aren't uh, strong incentives in place to bring diversity to the table. So a lot of reasons why it's a big challenge and a lot of reasons why organizations really struggle. So it's obviously a challenge, but it's also important. And the reason that it's so important is an organization can't be truly inclusive if it doesn't start at the top. And we see time and time again, organizations talking about how important diversity is, but they've got really homogenous leadership teams. And what that does is really undermine their broader efforts, especially in the eyes of their team. So the amount of surveys we've seen um, where the comments are time and time again, it's an all white male leadership team talking about diversity. So leadership teams can't just talk this. They actually have to do it and they have to have plans in place. And beyond internal perception, one of the big challenges with homogenous leadership teams is they're reinforcing historical power imbalances. And that's a lot of what we're trying to correct with the work that we do in diversity, equity and inclusion. And of course, that means they're lacking a variety of perspectives and we're losing the value that comes from those different perspectives in decision making, different perspectives in ideation and what links all the way back through to business success. So endless stats to support this. I'm sure you've heard many of them, but one of them from McKinsey is that companies with executive levels of over 30% women are 40% more likely to outperform companies with less gender diversity. So we know it's important. We know it's the right thing to do. So how do we go about doing it? And really, I guess our approach, as with everything that we do, is about strategy. 
and stakeholder involvement. So how do we get buy-in? How do we make sure that we're bringing everyone along on that journey? It's never going to work if it just happens over in the corner in isolation. So we're going to take you through the process that we use to do that within organizations. The first stage here is really a process for clarity and alignment. And that often looks like a kickoff meeting with the relevant stakeholders. So one part of that is establishing a clear why. Um, This is a why at the level of the individuals involved and at the organization. Why is this important? What are the opportunities? What's the responsibility? What are the risks for not getting this right? Um, The reality is when leadership teams fail to get to grips with this, most people know that diversity and inclusion is good at a cognitive level. Again, they've seen some of the stats that like Kerry just shared, um, and they could probably parrot those back to you, but they've not applied that thinking at a real foundational level to their organization and really kind of projected that out into the future. So that clear why. Um, Without that, the efforts tend to get deprioritized as soon as something else comes along, which is important, um, and focus focus goes elsewhere. Uh, the, the next step of uh, that, that alignment meeting is um, agreement on the how um, with a contribution um, to really getting clear on what are the, some of the barriers, what are some of the challenges that we might face on this. Senior leaders bring a wealth of experience and knowledge with them, and they can really help us get clear on, 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 on kind of some of the nuance of the how. And this process uh, provides clear communication or a clear grounds for creating communications and expectation setting for the rest of the organization as well. So when that leadership team has done the work to come up with a clear why and a clear how, um, we can then use that to uh, communicate that outwards. So those are some of the reasons why um, a, a stakeholder meeting like that is so important as, a, as an early stage process. And I think we see that missed a lot in organisations, hey? So, so often when we're thinking about increasing diversity, we start off by setting some targets. We're like, okay, we want 30% of our leadership team to be women. We've had no communication about why it's important. We haven't involved people in that process. We haven't thought about how we've got to those targets. So... The very first point being bringing everyone in, having a discussion, the alignment, because we're going to need everyone to work together to achieve it, is absolutely vital. People feel more of a sense of buy-in there as well. We know from a from a just a human psychology perspective, people are far more likely to be engaged with something that they had a hand in creating as opposed to something they're just told they have to do. Yeah, absolutely. So once we've got that, we've started the conversation, we understand why it's important. The next part is about defining at an organizational level what we're trying to do. And we always recommend drafting targets here. So we're not setting a target, we're drafting a target. And that starting point is where are we now and where do we want to be? So first off, where are we now? Understanding our current leadership diversity. And that might look like a small team of six or with many organizations we're working with, we're talking about much larger leadership teams. So sort of between the 50 and 100 level. And looking at those current levels of diversity and comparing that to the communities we serve. So where do we want to be? What are we aiming for? And that's the basis to set those provisional leadership level targets. And we always recommend looking this on a multi-year basis. We know this change isn't going to happen overnight, especially if we've got much smaller teams. So looking at that um, over time perspective and using that as a roadmap, because that's going to be part of the how and the ongoing strategy. But then It's not just setting that where we want to be. We need to start to think about how we can get there. So really, there's three levers you can pull to increase diversity. So it's who we bring in, it's who we promote, 
and then it's who leaves. They're the only three things we can change. But we need to model those back to that overall target that we're setting. So for example, sometimes we see organizations that are like, right, we want to be 50% women within a year. If you look at how many people you're bringing into the organization, that would mean that we need to recruit over 100% of those new hires to be women, which is just absolutely not feasible. So we have to make sure they're realistic because what's going to do really badly for us is if we set targets that we then can't achieve because they're because they're not feasible. Mm. Another, I think, important thing to mention when we're talking about these targets and, and I think a misconception about things like inclusive hiring and increasing diversity in an organisation, this doesn't mean bringing in people who are not suitable for roles for the sake of making up numbers. We, we know that causes a lot of problems. If we bring in underqualified people, they tend to underperform. Um, if people feel like the diversity higher as well, that's not that's not psychologically good for those individuals and they tend to be treated as such in organizations. But without a focus on where we want to be, we're not going to do things that people in the organization are not incentivized to look in different places for um, high quality candidates. We're not incentivized to improve process, etc. So just a, a point of clarity there. And of course, we want to cascade those down by division as well. So organizations are not a homogenous, uh, are not a homogenous entity that requires a blanket focus across the organization. We work with a lot of businesses in the tech industry, for instance. And while there might be uh, an overall focus on increasing the number of women in tech roles, for example, and that, that's typically true, there are other divisions in the organization that do not require the same focus. For example, we know HR and people and culture teams tend to uh, the, the leadership of those teams tends tends to lean on the side of being the majority uh, majority women. So different divisions will have different priorities. They'll have different challenges. There'll be different nuance in terms of how we go about this. So again, we're looking at consultation. We're looking at working with the uh, the leaders of each of these divisions uh, and really coming up with what are feasible, clear targets that everyone buys into as a as a priority. Yeah, and I guess if we're taking it a stage further, we've got targets by division, then that's our opportunity to hold whoever our hiring managers are and our leaderships are accountable. So yeah. ideally, for me, we'd have KPIs against leaders there where we've got large enough leadership teams to make sure that they understand that this is really important. This is really vital for the organisation. Mm -hmm. So stage four then, once we've got our targets, we want to be thinking about the recruitment process and looking at how we can improve that. So every recruitment process has an opportunity to improvement. And I guess when we think about the process itself, our, the way we would do that is to map it out, look for those 1% opportunity areas to improve. So what are the small changes we can make that are going to get a big difference? And these are things like rethinking job descriptions so that we know that if we build more flexibility into job descriptions, that really benefits candidates from underrepresented backgrounds, actually people in general, but um, especially people from underrepresented backgrounds. Also, how do we reduce the reliance on referrals? So how do we improve the breadth of the pool that we're using for bringing people in. So looking at things like Ability Jobs or Work 180, so sites that are specifically targeting different areas of underrepresentation. The other thing within that sort of process review stage is recruitment's the big one and obviously one that we look at a lot when we think about inclusive hiring. But we also need to think about how we're promoting. So what does our succession planning process look like? How do we make sure we're building the right talent pipelines for leadership? 
Because ideally, if we can bring people through internally, that's obviously going to save us significant cost and time. And that should be where our, our, a large part of our focus is. So that's areas like learning and development. It's coaching, it's shadowing, it's mentoring. But it's also making sure that process is right. How do we evaluate who the right people are for our next leadership roles? And one way we typically help organizations map and think about this is looking at the whole of the employee life cycle from discovery um, and, you know, before they come on, what are the perceptions of the organizations? What are they seeing? What are they hearing when they look at the website, for example? Um, how is each stage of the, the recruitment process? What does onboarding look like as a process? How are they supported further through that? So obviously, while the recruitment process is key, here. As Kerry said before, the levers that we're pulling when we're looking at diversity um, or increasing diversity is who is coming into the organization, who's staying in the organization and who's moving through the organization. So um, we need to look at that that whole life cycle, I think, to to get a full picture there. Next on the list is providing learning and development opportunities for individuals involved in the uh, involved in this process as well. So what is the support that people require? And again, this is going to be different depending on your role. This is going to be de- different depending on your department and where you are in the process. So um, for example, we're looking at hiring managers and how they might um, reduce their potential for bringing unhelpful aspects of bias into candidates assessment and candidate selection um, how are we looking at um, uh, how are we looking at people who are then um, uh, evaluating CVs uh, are they doing the same for example are we looking are we aware of the different types of biases that um, we have the potential for when we're assessing candidates so uh, those learning and development opportunities are really really key in, unless we're um, unless we're sort of filling those gaps um, where we're leaving ourselves open to potentially unha- unhelpful bias Bias. So we're looking at the process and we're also looking at helping upskill the people who are, are part of the process as well. And that can be fun, hey? So I think one of the things that I guess is interesting about the way that we approach and what we hear when we run these sessions on inclusive hiring is people really expect that this is going to be sort of one of compliance, one of judgment, one of shame, one of like just follow this process, do this right. You're you're full of bias. This is what you need to do differently. But actually, this is really interesting and exciting. We get to think about who we're bringing into our organization. We get to learn more about ourselves and each other. We get to create a really interesting and inclusive hiring process. So I think sometimes this the world, when we start to talk processes, when we start to talk bias, when we start to talk L&D, we can get down into that sort of more negative space. Really, this is this is awesome. We love this work. And it's giving people an opportunity to see the fruits of doing things differently real time in practice as well. This is the feedback we get from especially hiring managers that when they get to implement some of the things that we talk about um, and they get to see how an interview changes, how a selection discussion shifts when people are more aware of the potential for bias, um, the light bulb kind of goes on and it's like, oh, actually, I think we made a much better decision here and a much more objective decision here based on the candidate because I became aware that I might have been positively disposed to candidate B because we we attended the same school or we went to the same course. And actually, is that relevant for how that person is going to potentially perform on the job? Not so much. 
So then the final stage that we recommend is making sure we're having ongoing communication with those stakeholders that we talked about up front and especially the leaders that are involved in hiring. So we've introduced this in a number of organisations now, but monthly group reviews. So that's about sharing progress. So typically it's the HR team that own this data and sharing back the data. How are we performing on a monthly basis? What proportion of people are we bringing into the organisation? And looking at that, yes, at an organisational level, but also a divisional level. So it's about sharing, but it's also about hearing from the leaders on what's working well, what more do they need? So there's a call I was on recently that was one of these monthly reviews And one of the leaders at that organization had found this whole new talent pool, found this amazing new website that was really perfect for their um, organization, very specific site. Um, But that's great, right? That's a perfect sharing that they can help support each other. Equally, sharing challenges that they're finding and how do we collectively problem solve overcoming those? Maybe it's a specific role that we're struggling to recruit for. Maybe it's a specific underrepresented group that we can't find. And asking for help from each other as leaders, but also from the HR team. And what more do they need to be able to continue to drive diversity? I think it's so, so important. The the working out, being very clear where we're stuck, and then also acknowledging that we might not have all the answers in the room. Um, and and where who can we have conversations with internal to the organization, maybe bringing in third parties where, um, you know, where that's going to be helpful as well. But knowing where you're stuck and knowing what you can do about that is is absolutely, uh, absolutely critical. Um, so without that, we're, um, we tend to, you know, default to doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which, um, you know, we all know, we all know is not the, uh, not the best approach. So, yeah. oh God. And I, I was going to say, and I think we've seen really good, like we're just talk, taking you through a process and we've seen really good results with this process. So one of the examples I'm thinking of is one, ones we've been through recently, um, but we were able to increase the proportion of women hired into their tech team from 20% to 40% within three months. So like, like basically doubled the number of women that were being hired into that organization. And what was interesting there was that the feedback that we had at the start when we first talked to leaders in that first kickoff meeting was, it's just too hard. We can't find women at senior levels in tech. It's just not possible. And there's a stat that's always quoted in tech and leadership, which is 26% of people in the tech industry are women. That stat's actually from 2016. Um, and there's definitely not the case now. So the trouble we had there, which came up during the kickoff meeting, is when you've got that excuse, we can't do it, it's too hard, then you don't put your mind to it. You don't try. So it wasn't until we had the targets in place, we had a focus on it, we had alignment on why it was important that people actually started to put effort in, started to look, started to problem solve. And, it, and the CTO of that organization came to me afterwards. He was like, huh, that was much easier than I thought. So all it took in that scenario was a little bit of focus. And what this process enabled was for that focus to happen and for everyone to come together and do it. So I think the the approach of involving others within the process is really important. And I think I think that, that traditional view in the tech industry as well kind of negates the reality that if you are the organization so say like just maybe like for the sake of argument we say maybe there are less women in um, certain roles in the tech industry there are like there is a smaller smaller candidate pool available and I, that, that that's true if you're the organization though with a real focus on creating an awesome place to work for more people 
where is that talent going to go when they look at the available um, the available suite of jobs? Are they going to go to the organization that's really focused on creating an inclusive environment where they can see people like them at senior leadership levels where there are great stories coming out of the organization versus organizations which really don't care about this, uh, really don't care about this endeavor? So you, it might still be true that the overall candidate pool is smaller. You're going to capture far more of that if you're an organization with a focus on it. At Leaders for Good, we have a proven track record of helping clients from a wide range of different industries create lasting culture change. We achieve this by developing impactful diversity, equity and inclusion strategies, by delivering highly effective workshops and programs, and by leading change initiatives that truly work at scale. So if you're enjoying this conversation and would like to talk to us about accelerating your organization's DEI efforts, please reach out at hello at leadersforgood.org. And then I thought, I mean, unless you've got any other thoughts on that, Phil, I wondered if now there's some sort of key questions, I guess, that we get asked around this that can be mm-hmm. quite hard to answer. I wondered if we could just dig into a couple of those. I've got a few thoughts on those mm. questions. I might throw them to you. So sure. one of the the questions that I hear a lot is, all of this makes a lot of sense, but I've got a really small leadership team. So say I've got mm-hmm. a leadership team of... I don't know, six to 20, like a small team. The only way I can actually make change is if people leave. Mm-hmm. How do I go about thinking about it in that scenario? Succession planning, I think, is is really one of the things that comes to, comes to mind first. So, uh, again, talking about incentives at the, at the top of this episode, oftentimes senior leaders are incentivized to stick around in organizations. They have long-term incentive plans. They have maybe shares in the organization. Um, and the longer they stay there, the, the more they're remunerated financially. So, um, that is a that is a challenge in and of itself and and it's a discussion to be had at the organizational level whether that is a healthy thing for them to do because we know some degree of turnover in leadership teams is is a good thing because it brings with it fresh thinking um if we have a leadership team where everybody has been there 20 years the chance of stagnation and the chance of that team being a fit, a bit of an echo chamber is really really high so so thinking about the the level of um healthy healthy attrition and turnover that they want in the team I think is a is a good thing uh, and then thinking really deliberately about succession planning and that often um, that often results in looking very closely at who in the organization might want to step up and, and take on those roles uh, and and a great example of bringing this to life is things like shadow teams shadow leadership teams and shadow boards so who is the leadership team made up of a, a more diverse group that sits uh, within and, and and underneath that uh, that that core leadership team that can start to contribute their ideas could somebody sit in on those meetings could somebody bring the diversity of thought in without being a formal member of that leadership team for a time um so those are some um some ways to start bringing that to life i don't know Kerry, additional additional thoughts on that yeah i think i was thinking very similarly in terms of how we bring others in to help improve diversity of thinking so understanding like you said whether it's a shadow leadership team or whether there's key decisions where we need other voices and how we get that diversity of thought i think absolutely mm. makes sense i think the one other part to it which i guess is always important but even more so when you've got a small leadership team and you know it's going to take time to make change it's the communication to the organization mm. so again we see this so often it's like oh well yeah. we've only got a leadership team of six so we can't make change to diversity that's not an answer it's like okay we've got this team it's going to take time and here is our plan to make that change so people need to yeah. be aware that you're still working on it and it is going to take time 
Yeah. And, 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 and also just on that, um, when leadership team, when there is change at a senior level, again, making sure that that's, that's visible to the organization. We've worked with, um, you know, looking at a lot of engagement surveys that, that kind of echo the sentiments Kerry just shared. Sometimes there's like, oh, the, the leadership team's so stagnant. There's, there's no turnover. And in fact, there's been three new people who've joined within the, <laughs> within the last six months. Um, but that's, that's not always called out and that's not always top of mind for people. So the next question I've got, which kind of links through to everything that we've been talking about, is so often we hear that people either say or think that people just been hired for diversity. So Qantas CEO has just come in as a woman. I've heard multiple people say, oh, diversity hire, we have to have a woman at Qantas now. What do we do about that from a organisational perspective, but also an individual perspective? Because it feels awful to think you've just been recruited for your gender or for any sort of identity trait and then also it's absolutely not the message that we want internally and does not build an inclusive organization so how do Mm. we go about addressing and dealing with that for me i think uh, we said this at the top as well the person who takes on the role needs to be a a qualified suitable um, effective effective person whose likelihood of success in that job is really really high so i think it's communicating the the must-haves um for a particular role um that that kind of obviously sit beyond uh, diversity so this person really does have to have this level of experience knowledge and and bring this to the table when they're um you know when we're when we're looking at who takes on the role um and obviously it being very very clear that whoever's taken on that position has those has those traits has those abilities has that experience so um it really kind of you know, pointing to that in in the uh, the candidates that we uh, oh sorry the hires that we that we make, especially at senior levels, and again it's it's communicating the how and the why I think more broadly at an organisational level, so that there everybody is aware that there is a a focus on reaching more diverse candidate pools. There is a focus on debiasing the process. This does not mean that we are simply hiring to fill quotas. And I think that messaging can get lost um, in the organization sometimes. And again, we hear in engagement surveys that, um, oh, it's it's no longer the best person for the job. It's, it's whoever's going to make up a quota. And, and again, that serves to cause more more kind of fracturing in, in organizational culture. And that's absolutely not what what we want. And I think that has to go back to training as well, doesn't it? Because the challenge that we have because of bias, for example, is we might bring a candidate in from an underrepresented group that ticks every single bucket, but because of internal stereotypes and biases, even if they do tick all the buckets, people are still going to think they're not because of gender or disability or whatever it might be. So the education kind of has to go hand in hand with the communication. We need to help people understand why we might think some of the things that we think and that they aren't necessarily always true. And and it's not just education as well. It's inclusive practices. What are some of the what are some of the basic uh, mindset and behaviour that we um, that we know move the needle on creating an inclusive environment? We've worked with organisations in the past who've had a focus on um, on hiring more diverse candidates. They've come into a uh, what was previously a very static uh, team that didn't all have a lot of diversity who uh, weren't particularly inclusive in their behaviors um, and those candidates end up end, end up voluntarily exiting quite quickly because the environment is 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 quite frankly a bit hostile and a bit toxic for them so um, focusing on kind of foundational inclusion for the whole organization is is really core to making diversity work 
I think that's such an important point and something that we haven't covered here, which is don't focus on diversity until you've got the inclusion right. We have to get inclusion first. Otherwise, we're going to bring people in and we're going to provide a bad experience to people that have come into the organisation, but also our existing staff. So that's absolutely vital within organisations. Okay, the final question I've got, and I realise we've talked a lot about bringing women into organisations because it is the area that's focused on the most. But obviously, this doesn't apply to women only. So what do we need to think about when we're thinking more broadly than just gender? I I think it's uh, all of the, well, you know, all of the categories. So a a great starting point, one that not a lot of organisations typically have, and we can talk about that in a second, is looking at the community they serve, uh, looking at their organisational composition, so getting very clear on on kind of what the makeup of the organisation is. I think that's a that's a fundamental stumbling block that we haven't talked about um, that we haven't talked about yet. Is a lot of organisations aren't clear on what their diversity <laughs> actually looks like. So if you're aiming for workforce mutuality, so that's a fancy way of saying your organisation kind of mirrors the community that you serve, being very clear on what that community looks like, very being very clear on what your organisational looks like, um, and then going, okay, so what does that mean for gender? What does that mean for disability? What does that mean for um, uh, ethnic representation? What does that mean for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander folk in the organisation? Um, and then having those uh, having those targets at, at each one of those levels. I think then um, a recognition and a, a focus on creating inclusive hiring practices and um, uh, inclusion practices in the organisation that benefit all of those uh, all of those underrepresented groups groups i think is uh, i think is really really key one thing we talk a lot about is the complexity of this space um, and the fact that for a lot of people who have busy day jobs in organizations getting to grips with the nuance of many many different underrepresented groups is not feasible so how do we create a system and systems and processes mindsets and behaviors that are more likely to create an environment where more groups have the the biggest chance of success i think is is something that we want to focus on there uh, uh, additional thoughts there kerry no i think that makes perfect sense i think the reason most organizations are starting with women is because it's such a huge portion of the population that many organisations aren't yet um, representative in and we do have to focus somewhere. So specifically, smaller organisations sometimes do take one focus. I think when we get to more advanced stages in maturity, broadening it out so we've got those um, targets against multiple underrepresented groups is absolutely the right thing to do. And I think all the principles that we've shared apply in terms of looking at where you get your candidate pools from um, and making sure that the organisation is going to be inclusive for people coming in. So I think it's it's an interesting area and we hear a lot that Australia is still a bit behind the places like the UK and the US in terms of we're still very focused on women here. But I think where possible, yeah, looking at the communities we serve, using that as the way to determine what our representation should be internally is absolutely the right starting point. And and starting point, I think, is just to just to put a cap on that. I think starting point is a is a really great way to think about this. Um, a core mistake we see in DEI strategy is trying to do everything everywhere all at once. Um, good movie, by the way, but. 
Um, when we focus on everything, we end up focusing on nothing. And for organizations, especially at lower levels of maturity who are just starting out on their journey, actually going, okay, we want to focus on some some degrees of inclusion, uh, the foundations of inclusion. But when we're thinking about underrepresented groups, picking one as a starting place is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, And it doesn't mean that that is the the approach forever. Next year, there could be an expansion of that focus to include more and more groups. So um, picking a uh, picking a place to start and, and a place that impacts more individuals, like you say, the the biggest area of underrepresentation at senior leadership levels is 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 centered around gender here in Australia, um, and then moving from there, learning the lessons, uh, taking the principles, and and you know having the having the success that that kind of bears out a more expanded strategy. Perfect. That was all my questions. Any big ones that you hear that you want to discuss? No, no other, no other questions. I, I think just a, um, a an asterisk next to this entire conversation to say that it's it's difficult and complex. If this was easy, then organisations would have would have all nailed it by <laughs> by now. Um, the recognition, I think, from a lot of organisations that this is something that they want um, and that this is something that's valuable, but not necessarily connecting the dots between that and what that means for them very specifically um i think is the is the first place to start so um this is why we encourage a strategic approach to this rather than a, a shotgun approach or a knee-jerk reaction to something having that considered stakeholder driven inclusive process to, to to build a an approach to this and then keep that approach flexible um if i if i was to urge one thing throughout everything that we've said is uh, going back to those monthly reviews, going back to the data and going, okay, is what we're doing moving the needle on our ultimate objectives? And if it's not, what can we try differently? Uh, and this doesn't, this isn't rocket science from a strategy perspective, but it's a step we see missed all too often. Uh, that would be, that would be my encouragement. I don't know. Any, any big takeaways or light bulbs that you want to share to close out the, close out the conversation? No, I think that was a pretty great summary. I think. It sounds so simple, but the sharing the why we're doing it and then the ongoing involvement of people in the process, those monthly reviews that we've started to implement with a number of organisations, I've been kind of amazed every time at how productive they are. Um, and they don't have to be long. They can be 15, 20 minutes. Very, They can even be part of existing leadership team meetings. But keeping this top of mind, allowing people to be part of the process, collective problem solving, getting different perspectives on what works and what doesn't. Um, I think the power of that is just transforms this from like a number on a HR sheet or in an annual report as a target through to something that actually is going to be actioned and makes change and lives within the organisation. And we know that's the key to, to making change. And and I think that recognition. Sorry, just to, to bring one one last thing um, into the conversation. Always got to have the last word. Uh, oh, <laughs> feel, feel free to build on it. Just uh, things keep popping into my head. But having a realistic time frame where the organisation is heavily committed to this, I think, is really key. Um, we were even talking about it in in terms of something completely unrelated uh, today, which is: Are we giving this a long long enough runway to to see if our efforts are actually having a measurable impact? If it's like, oh, we'll try this for for three months and 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 we'll reassess then, and then we might scrap it if we've not seen progress. It's not it's not the right attitude. We know that this is. Um, well, hiring people, <laughs> if you're looking at hiring in senior levels, 
people don't have people have very long um uh, uh very long um notice periods at senior levels so actually recruiting senior people can take three months six months it can take up to a year at very senior levels so this has got to be a a long-term strategy and a long-term approach for organizations with uh senior with with buy-in from the organization to support this over um, multiple years if you're interested in this conversation, we also have a blog post that you can find on our website and it will be in the show notes. Please feel free to share this with a friend or if you'd like to discuss anything DEI culture change related, please get in touch with us at hello at leadersforgood.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inclusion at Work podcast. If you'd like to help others benefit from the conversation you just heard, the most impactful thing you can do is share it with a friend. You can also give us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, if you'd like to talk to us about accelerating your organization's DEI efforts, or if you'd like to provide feedback on anything you heard today, you can reach us at hello at leadersforgood.org.